Ahoy there, and welcome to Sweet Shot of Time, 1899 and Wheel of Time recaps. Today we're doing 1899, Episode 3, The Fog. I'm back with my first mate, Nate. Hello there, Nate. Hello, Steve. Cool, man. I'm glad you're doing better. No more sore throat. Yeah, thankfully that's over with. Yep, we stopped by the infirmary, and uh, good old Dr. Murray with his mutton chops said you were just fine, so we're going to believe him. (laughs) We skipped out on your thoughts for episode two, uh, because I didn't talk to you last week. Before we go any further, did you um, want to pick up anything on episode one and two before we dive into episode three? I think that I will tie my because a lot of my thoughts are really tied into episode three okay. so it'll be easiest to just as we go along discuss my thoughts and how they connect to the previous two episodes okay good all right see this uh show 1899 has dropped from number one it was number one for the first week and a half and it's dropped down to number six currently which is still fine. I mean, it's to be expected. I mean, like Wednesday has started up with that show Wednesday about Tim Burton. So I think that's currently at the number one spot right now. But, you know, it's it's still hanging on. I'm, I'm loving it so far. Uh, and I'm glad. You, I hope that you and everyone else can see why I chose this show for Sweet Child of Time. Because after seeing the end of this show and seeing some... Um, anachronistic things happening. I'm pretty sure that time is an element that is being played with in this show. Would you agree at this point? I think that there's some time elements, but I'm not sure because of the dreaming thing, if it's all Mm. one timeline or if there's a split timeline Mm -hmm. or what it is yet. That's what I mean. Like Wheel of Time is all about the circle of time and how things keep repeating itself. And here we're in 1899, but it's clear we're seeing, we're actually seeing objects on the boat that are clearly from, you know, 1950, 1960, like that big red button and stuff. Those were, you know, that those were definitely not around in 1899. Um, and the very big ending of this episode too, like that kind of thing was not going to, I mean, it could be a dream, of course. Um, you know, that image we saw at the very end, but it looked to me like some kooky technology that has surpassed what we can do currently. Um, so it's a sweet child of time. Yes. <laughs> and you know who I figured out who is the sweet child of time? Zombie boy. He is our sweet child of time because <laughs> he's involved in this time story and he's a nice little sweet boy, right? <laughs> Zombie boy is not the sweetest child. (laughs) Okay. I mean, okay, we'll we'll examine that when we get to him. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start getting into the recap now. We start off with a dream again. We got um, Ling Yi's dream this time, and she's in some sort of box uh, underwater, and she gets woken up by Mara again. Um, This is the second time that we've heard Mara's voice telling somebody to wake up from their dream. She wakes up and is looking around at stuff in her room. And this is the first time that we see that kimono that has our um, 
symbol for Earth on the back of it there, that nice triangle symbol. It's the same symbol for the ship and everything else. And I don't know how we did not notice that before. Maybe it just wasn't shown to us before. But that kimono absolutely is a, an accessory to <laughs> to our boat and to everything else happening here. Did you notice the way it was hung like in a crucifix shape by any chance? No, I guess I didn't really recognize that. But that'll be an interesting thought for later because I have some stuff with that too. Yeah. So she's, she takes a look at that. She's looking at her wig. She enters the banquet hall in a real, like, halting way. Like, almost as if she's, like, entering a room for the first time in her life. It's really interesting the way she enters here. Maybe just because of that dream she had. That might have been what, sh- what shook her up a lot. I guess that would kind of make sense. Um, oh, yeah. And <laughs> just this simple fact, I guess, but we've known this about her now, but she's wearing a, a dead woman's clothes. She's the woman who she's responsible for her death. She had to put on her clothes and wear them and pretend to be her. So that's probably <laughs> going through her mind a lot, too, and might explain why she's not having a, you know, splendid time on the on the cruise. OK, her mother, we know now it's her mother. Um, You noticed in this episode, they kind of like put a bunch of stuff that we've been speculating. They put the kibosh on the easy stuff. Like now we know who these people are. Now we know that this is Ling Yi's mother, Yuck. And it just, it wasn't revealed in a big revelatory way. It just was spoken over breakfast. And they, let's see. Ah, yes, it's Virginia that, that reveals that to us. And Virginia likes to adjust to situations as they unfold. It's almost as if she embraces chaos and like takes advantage of things that occur as the aftermath of that chaos. I have an interesting thought on Virginia because I made this connection really early in the episode or I, I formed this thought rather I made the connection. So everybody's running from something that's very apparent by not only the dreams, but also just the character to character interactions. But Virginia is one of the few characters that there's, it doesn't seem like she's running from anything and she holds some position of power, which we later find out, well, not even much later, but in the episode we find her relation to them. Um, And, I've been trying to figure out, and I think we've talked about it just a little bit, who almost you would call the snake in the grass is. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to really think that it's Virginia because Mm -hmm. just between, I'm going to mostly say Mara and her, they're the two biggest figures arguably on the boat. I mean... Okay. The captain is is big, but they I think are the two biggest opposing powers. And uh but I could be wrong. I I, I guess I brought that up because I uh think maybe maybe Mara could could also switch sides on us in the long haul because who doesn't love that good M Night Shyamalan twist? <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, Virginia's um I'm curious, like, how she holds her power that she holds, her confidence. Um, It's 1899, and she's talking about Mora traveling alone. Like, 
you know, I know people are going to wonder why you're traveling alone. Well, she herself is traveling alone and she's not worried about that at all. It's just par for the course. Um, peeking a little bit later on, I mean, we're talking about Virginia now. She is another letter holder. You might have noticed later on the episode, she also has a letter from the company too. So obviously she's got a big role to play. All right, we're switching on over to Crester. Crester is still looking for Ada. He's over there at the gate, like the, the division line, we'll say. Um, oh, and then we quickly cut right back over to Dr. Murray. They're in the infirmary, just where you were, Nate. Dr. Murray said you just have a sore throat and said, hey, just walk it off, buddy. It's what he's saying about Ada. He's like, yeah, she's dead. I mean, I guess it's just natural cause. This is what happened to eight-year-old girls, you know? <laughs> I mean, it happens, I guess. <laughs> well, like he says, Darwin, uh, survival uh, of the fittest, weeding out the bad seeds. He probably truly believes that. I mean, he's a backwards thinker, obviously, but he also believes what he believes. You can tell he holds... You know, he's not a simpleton that's, um, you know, snivering around. Well, he kind of is, but I mean, he's being very upfront about who he is and he's not ashamed of it. He's like, yeah, you women don't know crap and I know you don't know crap. Case closed. Sauce Boss, our boy Franz, of course, I know his name now. <laughs> he's still got that bloody face. <laughs> uh, I'm going to I'm gonna cut you off real quick. While I was watching the episode, I could not remember what you called him and for some reason i just kept calling him beefcake Ooh, in my brain okay which since you're since you're a virginia boy guar's down that's right down there beefcake the bassist beefcake the mighty that's right that's right this guy is absolutely the spitting image of a friend andrew who goes by the name sauce boss on instagram follow the sauce boss on instagram uh and it, he can't Andrew would clean his face off really quickly though. I know he would. And this guy's walking around three episodes in still with a bloody face. I don't know if we'll ever see a clean image of him again. Ike says to keep this quiet, which is weird, which is very weird. And we all know it <laughs> except for Ike. Then they noticed that the ship is slowing down. Like they can feel the ship, how it's slowing down. Now, if you're a 45,000 ton ship and you're towing with ropes, another 45,000 ton ship, and it doesn't have anybody steering it or anything like that. And then you all of a sudden slow it down because of the fog. It seems to me like the Prometheus should have rammed, uh, the Prometheus, uh, rammed the Kerberos. Do you think that if they slowed down over a long enough period of time, maybe? Ooh, a, no? a long enough period of time, yes. But, a I mean, they stop suddenly. That's what Neville Longbottom here says. He says that, the, <laughs> he, he says that like, it just came on like that, so they had to slow it down really quick. So, like, you know, if you're towing a car with ropes behind you and then you slam on your brakes, that car is going to ram right into you. Fair enough. I mean, I know our reality is twisted here, but I'm thinking about that hard reality of just physics and that should have happened. Now, I'm thinking about how good at tying knots did they have to be to pull <laughs> ship. 
because <laughs> yes, sometimes it's a struggle to tie my boots in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, these guys are seasoned, man. They've been doing this for a long time. This is like nothing to them. You're you're forklift licensed, right? And uh, front end loader, yeah. Heck yeah, same here. Forklift license also. I. I can pull stuff off a truck without even barely thinking about it. I know exactly like what angles to use, how much, how high to go. And I can hold a conversation with somebody while I do it. I'm pretty sure these guys are throwing ropes and tying knots and whistling Dixies and swabbing the deck like nothing. You know what I'm saying? Second yeah, nature. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that dude does look like Neville Longbottom, right? With a mustache. He does. I didn't think about it until you just said it. That's why it caught me off guard. I was like, that is Neville Longbottom. So we've got Neville and we've got the boy who lived over there, the uh, the, the zombie boy on the other ship. So we've got two Harry Potter cast members. There we go. Uh, so yeah, the sudden fog came in. Uh, the captain says, we're going to hold our position right here. And this is when they start up that cool mutiny stick music where they start banging the sticks together, the music sound mm -hmm. cue, and they start talking mutiny here. And the guy I've been calling Gilligan, he deserves a name at this point because he obviously plays a big, big, much bigger role than either of us realized. So I had to look up his name because when you look at the subtitles, all it says is sailor. It never actually says his name. But I did get a letter from somebody this week that revealed his name is Sebastian. So Gilligan has become Sebastian. So just like when somebody says, I want you to start calling me this name instead, then we're going we're gonna to honor that. Sebastian. He's, he's earned his place with that cool button pushing he did. So this is how um, in episode two, I'm thinking back about this guy, Sebastian. And how he was going along with the captain, but at the same time, he was doing some of the mutiny talk. Or he was listening to the mutiny talk from, from Sauce Boss Franz. And that guy said, you know, maybe we should just go ahead and sink the ship. And then Sebastian kicks in with like, yeah, perhaps we should. And that's probably why he said that. Because he was like, yeah, that's what the company wants us to do. That's what we should do. That makes sense. It seems to me he's a company man. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't gotten to his cheat code yet. That comes much later. Uh, for right now, we're going back to Ike. Um, crazy Ike trying to convince Mara of what's happening to him. And he shows her the ribbon, uh, shows her the hatch with the pyramid shape on it. And we know now that it's the symbol for Earth because it's the upside down pyramid with the line through it. So when we see the pyramid, that's the, the orientation of it, like when it's on the rug and when we see it on the kimono and all that kind of stuff. I, I assumed it would be for water, but then when I looked up my symbols, I was mistaken. It's an earth one. So he also tells her that he saw Nina, which, yeah, last episode we saw him see Nina, but we assumed that was a hallucination. But right. in his mind, he saw her. And... He poses the question, which that's why I'm stressing that fact that he believes he saw her. He says, did they even die in the fire? Just while he's just, you know, spewing out nonsense, 
so maybe they didn't die in the fire. Maybe, um, who knows? I mean, he saw what he saw when he was in the woods that day. But did he? I don't know. <laughs> He's asking that question, so so am I. So it makes me think, because Mara says sometimes your mind isn't always reliable. Mm. And, you know, hallucinations and things like that. So in some way, I kind of wonder if maybe either... So hallucinations can be a response to trauma sometimes. Mm-hmm. So either he is hallucinating now and he's seeing he's seeing them because of the trauma or alternate theory what if ike did something and these hallucinations are just him trying to uh cope with whatever <laughs> he did wow okay yeah that's out of left field um it seems like he's a victim to me but yeah i guess he could be a perpetrator we don't yeah i mean <laughs> we learned we learned a lot through this episode that uh everyone's done some pretty pretty terrible things yeah so that's kind of where that comes from dang okay at least in thought i mean i know he's he can hold secrets because he holds a secret a little bit later on here um he says he wants to go back for the log book he wants to take another trip over and more is all in hell yeah (laughs) she loves adventure um we're looking down below and we're going to go down to the, to the Dutch folk below. And I assume that they're all kind of part of the same, like country culture, right? Uh, uh, It almost seems more cult like, but yeah, (laughs) but they're all together is what I mean. Like, like the upper deck, like, you know, you got couples here and a person here and all that kind of stuff. seems like they're like a big gang. Yeah. I, but they're all praying. They're all worried. Tove doesn't seem too worried, though. I just kind of get the vibe that she's just more angry than than worried, um, just judging by the, the shots we see of her face. Okay, here we go with Virginia. Um, she's doing her pimp thing now. She orders Ling Yi to get undressed and examines her, discovers that she's a virgin. And this is a surprise because... She's only now finding out that Ling Yi is not who she says she is. And I like how she says, you know, you're supposed to be my best whore, but you're a virgin. I think Ling Yi could have gotten out of that one pretty easily just by being like, I do everything else but that. You know what I mean? But she wasn't yeah. She wasn't thinking quick. Um, she got caught, basically. But Virginia, um, she says that she doesn't like deception but she does like surprises so she's okay with this like she rolls with the chaos and she's going to make the best of her situation a juxtaposition to this would be um you may not have seen the crying game by any chance did you or do you even know what it is i don't Okay, well, here's a spoiler alert for an old movie that you're not going to watch. And everybody, crying game spoiler alerts. Uh, The movie is based around like a guy falls in love with who he thinks is a woman. And then at the end of the movie, like when they are doing their thing, it turns out that he is a man, that the woman is a man that was posing as a woman, deceived the guy. 
And then the guy is very upset about that and questions himself and is upset. There's a, there's a very, <laughs> very uh, forlorn song called The Crying Game, I think, by Chris Isaac. That was like the theme song. And it's just like really sad. And there's the image from the movie that everybody spoofs. You've probably seen this spoof of somebody sitting down in, in a shower, like weeping, like ugly crying, like while the shower, like, you know, falls on their head. And that's a scene from the crying game. When the guy finds out that the woman that he loved is actually a man, he runs in the shower and ugly cries. He did not like that surprise. He, (laughs) he was deceived and that surprise was not a good one for him. I think he should have been more like Virginia and rolled with it. That's very progressive of you. <laughs> progressive dude. We in a progressive state. You know how it is. Yeah. That it, I don't know why it made me think about the crying game, but that's the first thing I thought of when Virginia was having that conversation with Ying Lee here. Ying Lee. I'm not gonna lie. That's not at all where I thought you were. I, that's not where I thought you were going with it. But I'm almost <laughs> tempted to try to find the movie just to see this. <laughs> It's just, and it's a Oscar-winning, fantastic movie that I just spoiled for you. But you could—I said spoiler alert, so you could have, you know, taken your headphones off. It's on you, dude. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Our next scene is going to be with the sauce boss. Uh, he does not want Ike to go to the other ship. He doesn't like the idea of the captain going off again. Uh, he wants to know what's going on, obviously. Um, Sebastian, who we now know is Sebastian, uh, he wants to follow these orders. He wants to follow the company orders, I should say. It's pretty apparent now that he is, you know, I already said that, company man. But it's obvious that this mission, this mission that Ike and Mora are going on is a secret mission. They don't want anybody to know about it except for our friends Sauce Boss and Sebastian. Because otherwise, they'd have a crew there rowing them. As soon as they leave, they start up with some more mutiny talk. You good? Yeah, I'm still listening. I'm sorry. I I just typed in crying game to try to find it to put it on something before I forget. <laughs> good deal. Because I don't have any paper to I don't have any paper to write anything down. <laughs> that's that's nothing wrong with that. Um. So while Sauce Boss has his mutiny talk and. You know, um, Sebastian sends him off. Sebastian does the code. He pulls out his triangles and he does like the up down triangle on his Nintendo. Yeah, put his cheat codes in. Yeah. I don't, it's not exactly clear. I'm guessing like what he did was the, was step one of like a three step process. Like he does the code, hits the red button, which I guess fires up the thingies. And then Daniel has his little thing, and then he fires up the other part to it. I guess. Yeah. Because I mean, mm-hmm. I think I think that makes the most sense. It's it's so vague. It's hard to make too many assumptions on that. I don't. It could just totally be two different things, though, because of what Daniel does at the end. Right. That's a that's a pretty big deal. So. And I, yeah, I don't think Sebastian was in on that. Yeah, maybe they did no. do something. It could have been something different, but I kind of saw it as like they were, you know, like two nuclear submarine guys that have to do a key at the same time on different ends of the ship. So 
it has to be two people. Um, that's kind of what I was thinking, but they don't really make that too clear. But it was definitely not something that you would find in 1899. That big red button is definitely like a uh, 1950s model, maybe even earlier. I mean, I know like where I work, that technology was about 1950s kind of stuff. Red buttons didn't come around till the 50s. <laughs> well, they were around before then, correct. But I mean, I think that particular <laughs> type that does that type of, you know, um, switch. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> um, I, I want to go into this now, too, before we go to break, is because obviously this... They talk later about how they refurbished these ships. The ships were sold. They were dry docked for six months. They did some refurbishing, some, and they added some technology that, quote, unquote, didn't work. And so I guess this button was part of that. Those hatches were part of that. And that machinery down below was part of that, too. And it reminded me of my work where I do utilities, water utilities, we have thousands of wells across Virginia. And around 2004, we installed SCADA panels into all of them. So like if um, we could like remotely monitor the well and monitor the levels through these SCADA panels, they didn't work. They installed all these SCADA panels across and it was, it did not work. But the lights were on when you would enter the building, you would enter a code and you would see like the levels and stuff, but they never worked where people could like access the stuff like remotely. You couldn't look at it on your computer like that was the original plan. So were they still accurate and there was just no way to get that data? Correct. Gotcha. But I'm thinking maybe if I have a little cool shifty triangle thingy, I can access the SCADA panels and I can get free Wi-Fi. Pull your Game Boy out. <laughs> see what you can do. It's got to be the Game Boy, too. Like, you couldn't use a Switch. You got to go old school. No. It's got to be Game Boy Color. Maybe NES. I don't know. Ooh. Uh, that's before my time. <laughs> we see uh, the boy, zombie boy, crawls under his bed. And he's not doing, like, the typical little boy thing where he crawls under his bed and hides. I think he's... We don't see anything, but he goes under there with his little black pyramid, and he's under there for a while. Obviously, he's he's scuttling about. He knows something. He's uh, still creepy. Yes, he's got to he's got to do it in the creepiest way. <laughs> yeah, I I got to take a break now. I definitely want to get to Ada and the aftermath of her, but we got to break first. So, yeah, let's talk about Ada, Steve. <laughs> and we'll be right back. Oops. Bye-bye, Nate. And we're back from break. That was another little bit of Dragon Boy Suede and Marshland Monster doing Baltic States. That song is out now, and you heard a little bit at the beginning. Uh, so we're back with episode three, The Fog, and we're rowing over to the Prometheus. And we are Ike and Mara side by side, <laughs> row, row, rowing our boats. 
she asks Ike, you know, why did you ask me to come down there? And he says, because I wanted a second opinion. He, you know, lets her know that he thought Dr. Murray sucked and was like, you know, I value your opinion. You know, he's wrong about that. And they share a moment, a little bit of kindness, a little bit of bonding, talking about personal things, her miscarriage, which is very significant, I believe. Ike's a big softy now. He is. These two are pals. I mean, it's obvious they're well, pals. Did did I miss it? Did the coat make an appearance? It did. It's back. He's. I was gonna say. <laughs> there's st- we got two Ikes. We got non-coat Ike, mm-hmm. who's big softy, and then we got coat <laughs> Ike, who's just like. He's just a badass. I think it's a control thing. I think the the coated Ike is in control and is the captain. And when he takes his coat off, he's all anxious and flipping out. And he's a big baby. Yeah. I guess you could call it a baby. Sure. I mean, put the coat back on. That's what we came here for. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we came for the jackets. $138 at WilliamJacket.com. Anyway, <laughs> we're going to cut over to Ling Yi and yuck. And they're discussing Ling Yi's botched plan, the plan that she had to come to New York was to uh, slip a roofie to her friend. So her friend goes to sleep and then she was going to take her friend's clothes and take her place and come to New York while her friend slept. Then her friend would wake up and be pissed off. But as it turned out, she gave her too much of that stuff. And that stuff she got from her mom, because we find out here that Yuck is a pretty experienced Um, woman of the night and she's very experienced with giving these guys a roofie and i guess she steals their shit probably probably robs them (laughs) yeah she's talking with ling yi and she's putting an awful lot of stress and pressure on ling yi at this moment Um, so much that ling yi just runs off she doesn't want to hear it she goes and hides inside of a large cargo box just to kind of get away And at this point is when we see some reality shifting, just like we saw Ike's reality shift earlier when he entered that one room in the cabin. It was room like Mm -hmm. 2113. And I guess this box is like a reality shifty portal of some sort. (laughs) Um, First off, though, she looks super cool. I mean, we're metal guys. What do you think about that long, messy black hair with that white corpse paint and the black eyes? It's pretty sick. I'm not going to lie. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I love the look of her, like with the fog all around her. We haven't gotten there yet. That's a different scene. Um, but for right now, she's a geisha in distress. Yeah. So we see the actual happening of her doing poisoning the other girl. And she's watching like her younger self, like from the box. So she's seeing herself and she actually like locks eyes with herself at one point, which that's something I've definitely have thought about before because I spend a lot of time like in the same neighborhoods and the same streets where I work and like I'll come down one street and then I'll come up another way from a different angle. And I've often thought like, wouldn't it be so weird to like look over and like there was me from 30 minutes ago walking towards me because I keep going across the same intersection over and over and over again. Like how much of my energy is around here? Um, I don't know. It's the kind of stuff you stoners think. You definitely have a doppelganger somewhere. 
I know his name. He lives here in Richmond. He's a friend of mine named Bernie. He looks exactly like me, the bested Baron on uh, Instagram. We, we've known each other all our lives, and everybody says, minus the glasses, we're identical. That's how you can tell us apart. I wear glasses. He does not. <laughs> Other than that, we're identical. But is his beard as good as yours? Better. I don't know, man. Better. Your, your beard is really something else. <laughs> We're both beard guys, you know. Well, I'm not a beard. That's a lie. I'm not a beard guy. I'm just a guy that has a beard. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, yeah, she helps herself throw herself overboard here. So she is living the dream that she had earlier. So first in her life, when she lived that, when she did that incident, then in her life, she had a dream that she was in the box, and now... She is in some twisted reality where she is throwing herself overboard. Um, she wakes up, though, because this is some sort of weird magic reality box. She wakes up flipping out, and Olik is there. He's heard her making noises, and he's there to comfort her. Wait yes. a hot second. Yeah. You have all, do you have all your notes there, or just mm -hmm. the notes from... Flip back to your Freud notes, and just... Do any of, because there's what, seven categories of dreams, right? Yes. Got them right here. Uh, we got nightmares, falling, death, being chased, paralysis, and being late. So this mm -hmm. is a little, uh, hmm, falling, which I don't know if this is falling or not. That's like losing control. No, I don't think it's falling. Um, paralysis? No. No, I just wanted to see if there was there was a big theme that maybe we could have connected, but uh, it seems like death deaths in all of them at this rate. They really make a big point about lucid dreaming. That newspaper that I read, um, it said like lucid dreaming, the lines blurred between dreams and reality. Oh, here we here we go. Perfect. Um, it said that if in the dream state one encounters a negative trigger in their life, a lucid dreamer could have the ability to resolve that situation while in the lucid dream state. We were talked about how that was like a superpower that somebody could have back in episode one. Yeah. I don't know. Good callback though. Hmm. I'm starting to feel like there's not so much supernatural stuff going on as much as like when we first started and we talked about in the very very first episode we talked about the trailer and the different mythologies and stuff like that mm -hmm. i'm starting to think that there's less and less to do with that and this is more of a science fictiony kind of show oh less psychology and more more science fiction you're saying well, I mean, I think psychology is like a pretty big part of it, but just with everything that's going on with uh, the Game Boy and what mm -hmm. happens at the end of the show, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm starting to think that, you know, we're not going to see Zeus come down and throw lightning bolts at <laughs> Virginia. No, that's true. That's true. Um, 
and a lot of people who watch Dark, who is probably everybody listening has seen Dark, and they're probably thinking that some of the conclusions that happened in Dark are going to, you know, be this be similar to what we're going to see here. And I don't think that's the case because these show writers spent a lot of time um, trying to come up with something, you know, unique. They knew they had, you know, a good base with Dark and thematically, but I believe that we're going to see some different stuff. Like in Dark, you would eventually find out that like two characters were actually the same person. You would see like a younger person, then you would see like an older person, and then you would find out that that was actually the the same character, like in the same timeline and things. So when you see the boy and then you see uh, Daniel Solace, you might, all Dark thinkers automatically want to think that, oh, that's young Daniel when he was a little boy. And they, you know, exist together somehow. Um, I, I think they're they're lead they're leading us a lot of different directions just to give us a lot to think about. But Oleg, though, sense. oh sorry, what? No, I, I was just agreeing with you. Of course, <laughs> I like that. Um, Oleg's an agreeable guy. He's always kind and helpful, um, and I like the way here when like he's helping her out, and then like you hear Yuck calling. You're like, Ling Yi, come back. He immediately is like, I know a place we can hide. <laughs> he doesn't say, you know, oh, I guess you can go hang out with your mom now. Um, he knows what's up. Good job, Olick. I think he's probably the only purely good character in the show right now. Yeah, it seems like it so far. He's good hearted and doesn't have any weird motives. And he's not, yeah, he's not running from anything. He's just there to work. Yeah. Let's see. Let's go to work below deck. They're talking mutiny again. We're hearing that cool sticky music. And let's West Redbeard is the new guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're below deck where the uh the 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 Dutch are. And we have that red-haired guy with the magnificent beard and he's like a new speaking character now and um sounds like he's got some mutiny talk and they're all saying that the boy is cursed and that ship is cursed. I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with them, honestly, at this point. This is when our boy Sauce Boss Franz comes down, still with a bloody face. I mean, he's going to go down and tell Tove that her little sister is dead and take her to his bo- her body, but he's not going to present himself He's not going to take first. a shower. Anything. He's not showering. Just a rag. So. A rag and a little bit of water. That's it. That's all you need. He was in the infirmary earlier. He could have done it there. I mean, what better place? I think, he, I think he's just lazy. Well, he takes Tove to Ada, and Ada is laying there. Um, Tove takes her away. She scoops the body up, just gone. This little Ada, sweet, sweet Ada, who Voidmaster was all like, that girl's creepy. She's all like children of the corn or some shit. Like, <laughs> she was not I creepy believe- in the least bit. I- I believe my reference was one of the twins from The Shining. Okay, She's okay, just okay, got okay. that blank, like, <laughs> thousand-yard stare, and she's she's way too pale. She's, she, it's, she's Dutch. She's, un, she's unsettling, is what she is. Really? Like... Every, everyone else, everyone else looks normal, but this girl is just, she's got albinism. 
No, me Something. and Heather wanted to adopt her. This girl has her shit together. She wants to be a doctor. She's like helping her brother. Got the doll. I don't know, man. She's terrifying. <laughs> she's not. She's dead now. She's not going to scare anybody anymore. Well, yeah. Now it's now it's a not my pig, not my farm problem. But like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Um. Oh, here we go again with some more fun stuff. Angel and Crester again. After Tove leaves the scene, um, Crester is still looking for Ada, of course. He doesn't know what's happened at this point, but he runs into Angel. They got that barrier happen again, which I I did a lot of detail about that a couple episodes back. I still think that that barrier like, stands for much more than just a gate. Um, but here he, they're talking to each other, but they don't understand what each other are saying. And we get a bunch of that during this episode, but this is the first case of that. Um, and he was saying, he being angel said at one point that his mother chose his mask for him. And I don't know what that means because every other time angels talking, he's like, I've always been me. I'm my own man. But that's what he tells Crestor here that his mother chose his mask for him. Uh, he says he envies Crestor because everybody can just immediately see who he is because of the scar on his face. But he's, I think he's making references to like, to Crestor being like a homosexual perhaps. Cause he's like, everybody knows who you are. Everybody knows what's up. Did you get that vibe too, that he was passing some sort of judgment? From Crestor's standpoint, I didn't really look at it as everyone sees him as as gay but then again unless i missed it we have no explanation for the scar and maybe mm -hmm. that's why he has the scar maybe everybody does know uh i honestly took it more of a upper class lower class thing yeah i feel like everyone just looks at the lower class and they just say this is what you are this is it gotcha okay. and then upper class is you know there's so many different things they're involved in so many different things they actually have i guess if you would want to say like substance to them to themselves they would and lower classes just eat sleep die that's both how i took though. it yeah both scarred though crest scarred on the face angel scarred on the back where nobody can see it so he can hide yeah. his scars a little easier than um Crestor can uh but yeah Touched by an angel, anyone? Yeah, he gets touched. They uh, they do some serious <laughs> gate crashing here. And we're going to leave him where it's at. Um, <laughs> I will go with Zombie Boy, though. Here we go with some Zombie Boy. Uh, he comes up from under the bed, and he hears a secret knock at the door. A little one-two. I guess that's like him and Daniel's little signal two knocks um but he doesn't let him in his little scarab comes under the door and doesn't actually unlock the door it's like the scarab goes under the crack and then the door is unlocked at that point and did you hear i don't know if you listened last week i think you did we got a new character name for this little guy he's a little scrappy our little scarab yes, is scrappy scrappy so scrappy makes an appearance unlocks a door and then he goes over to zombie boy and does a little circle around his hand, but then gets scooped up and goes in Zombie Boy's pocket. Now Zombie Boy's got Scrappy. I was really waiting for him to just 
munch down on him. <laughs> like the w- little weirdo he is. Yes. They're like a team. Now we know that they're like a little team here. Like Daniel and Zombie, Wet Man and Zombie Boy. And it is like a superhero team. You called it from the get-go. Not Batman and Robin, but Wet Man and Zombie Boy. Yeah. And we do know now that Wet Man, his name is Daniel Solace. And we know that Solace is, you know, comfort in a time of great sorrow, which makes sense because he seems like he has those big sorrowful eyes. An astute Redditor alerted me to the fact that if you take the anagram of Daniel Solace, take all the letters, switch them around, you come up with Neoschiadella which is a genus of beetle. So I believe that that's intentional. How could it not be intentional that the a beetle, if you take an anagram of a certain genus, it spells Daniel Salas, more than a coincidence. Hmm. And then we see Virginia has that beetle dress that she wears a lot. Um, everybody's reading Beetle Bailey comics. They're all yucking it up. Listening to the Beatles. Did you hear when they were listening to Love Me Do and um, A Day in the Life? Yeah, man. Hell yeah. They were all like, hey, John Lennon's awesome. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, I, was like I, thought I, I thought I listened pretty intently. but <laughs> I'm, I'd, I would be shocked if they don't include some Beatles in a, a later episode. Be absolutely shocked. Let's see. Did I get ahead of myself here? Yeah, we're just talking about those two guys. Um, This is where Ike is talking to Mora about, explains those three ships. There were three German ships that belonged to the company, and they got sold to an English buyer named Henry Singleton. Um, This is some information that Ike gives to Mora. And, of course, her letter is addressed to Henry, and we don't know who Henry is, but... This is the first Henry that we've heard in the show so far is a rich buyer of three German ships and he um, repurposes them, refurbishes them, puts this triangle symbol on them. That's like the new logo of the ship, obviously builds these hatches, builds these weird buttons and steam room thingies. Uh, Henry, rich old Henry. Yeah, I've. That's all we got on him right now. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Olick and Ying. Olick and Ling. I keep saying Ying instead of Ling, but that's okay. She'll forgive me. Because they don't understand each other anyway. So she wouldn't understand what I'm saying. So it's fine. She would just be like, yeah, that's me. Um, they have a full-on conversation, but they don't know each other. Just like Angel and Crestor did earlier. He runs off to get her some food or something, and this is when she walks into the fog. I was nervous that she was going to walk off the edge of the ship. Were you nervous for her, too? That's where I thought the whole thing was going to go. Yeah. <laughs> thought she was going to be the next significant death. Yeah. I think everybody was, because you and I were thinking that, so I'm pretty sure that everybody else was thinking the same thing. Uh, she did not, though. She just turns into her younger self again. Oh, this is the scene. I'm sorry. I, I think I got a little mixed up. But uh, this is the scene, I think, where she live, relives what's happened. Maybe? 
She it's, sees the. Go ahead. The the first time is when she's in the box and it's her and her mom. Right. The second time, she talks to herself. The third time is reliving the actual event. Gotcha. So you just had the last two flip flop. No. I think I'm at the second one here where um, we reveal that Ling Yi is going to drug her and take her spot here. And so we're still not really sure if she's there by mistake or destiny at this point. I think there's going to be a, yeah, there's a third and final scene coming up here with Ling, <clears throat> Ling, Ling Yi later. But for right now, she just confesses everything to Olek in her own language. So he doesn't understand, but I mean, that's how therapy works. You get it out, you feel better. And she claims that we're not supposed to have dreams. I don't know if I agree with her, but that's what she says. Chia LaBeouf said it best. Don't let your dreams be dreams. <laughs> yep. <laughs> a wise young man he is. All right. <laughs> Crestor got himself a little HJ from Angel. So now he's going to walk downstairs into tragedy and he's going to see that he's basically walking into Ada's wake. And he freaks out, tries to smash a window to, to free her soul. Um, just a lot of pain in this scene. Um, this was not a, a fun voyage to America. <laughs> it sucks. <No>. Nope. <laughs> I don't understand the free in the soul thing out the window. Dude, I'm telling you, it's, it's a cult and that's gotta be one of their cult beliefs. Okay. Just the way that everybody acts down there is very hive mind. Yeah. So, I mean, there, obviously there are certain people that have their own individual thoughts, but like the way that they move and do things is all as a group. That's right. They were all like just watching, um, the young woman like pregnant, like having a terrible time and nobody was doing anything as a group. Yeah. Yeah. You're right about that. We find three more bodies in the hallway though. Sauce boss finds them, rings the death bell. We're hearing more mutiny music. He's not liking this at all. Nobody likes it. But we got Eric and Mora. Eric, Ike, and Mora. They're on the Prometheus. Yes. Uh, he shows her the control panel, which is like all these electronic doodads, which he says don't work. She is suspecting that maybe they cremated the bodies. You know, there's a bunch of bodies missing, and these things are the same temperature as a crematory so why not they start looking for bones and teeth they don't find any but eric finds a passenger list and as soon as he finds it we know like from looking at the list later that the he sees mara's name on that piece of paper as a passenger but at, at this point he clams up and he doesn't talk to her again after this point they were getting along I mean, getting along way better. They were like really like empathizing with each other deeply. And now he's just cut her off because I guess he's freaking out again. <laughs> he's like, it's the, hmm? It's because the coat's not on. Didn't he have the coat at this point or no? No, no coat down on the Prometheus. I think he has the coat on. Oh, coat's not doing its job then. I know, really. Well, even with the coat. That's a weird, that's a weird thing. That's a weird thing to find. 
Like if I went out to my balcony right now and there's like a little piece of paper and I was like, oh, what's this? And then I looked at it and it had your name on it. <laughs> that would probably freak me out big time. That would freak me out. <laughs> no matter what kind of coat I was wearing, I'd be freaked out. <laughs> he should have taken that whole book. He just took that one page and there was a whole book in there. Yeah, I didn't understand that. Why you wouldn't just try to salvage the book. Yeah, because there's one name in there you know for sure, Mara Franklin. But then I would be curious what other names are in that book. Maybe Ike Larson, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe, you know what I'm saying? Like, I would be scouring every name knowing that fact. Yeah. Ike. Come on, Ike. Anyway, back to Ling Yi, Ling, Ling Yi and Yuck. Um, they get back together and Yuck realizes that she, like, dumped a bunch of pressure on Ling Yi. She's like, please forgive me. But Ling Yi at this point, she's gone through the whole like three stages and she's like ready now. She's, it seems like she's leveled up <laughs> at this point. She takes her, uh, she puts her makeup on, seems confident. And she's going to go see Lucian. Um, they got a little date set up for eight o'clock. Eight o'clock with Lucian. Mr. Shaky Hands with a letter. Lucian has a letter. One of those what is lost will be found letters. So uh, I think it's pretty clear that that he's epileptic, right? Yes. And those vowels, I suppose, are like his medicine for his um his seizures, right? Maybe. I'm not entirely sure because forgive me. What's his wife's name? Clements. Clemens. Mm -hmm. So when she walks in and she sees the vial on the ground or mm -hmm. sees the vials out in the open, I wonder if she knows that – I wonder if she knows about his infidelity or potential for infidelity because of him being unhappy. So I wonder if that's like 1899's version of maybe – Viagra, maybe that's part of the reason that their marriage oh. is unhealthy. It also could be okay. epilepsy medicine. Well, yeah, like he does when you, I mean, just skipping ahead a couple minutes here, when he goes and hangs out with Ling Yi, he doesn't want to do anything. Mm. So if it is some kind of like, you know, Viagra boner pills, he didn't take it. He dropped it under the counter. So that would explain why he doesn't you know, do anything with Ling Yi. He's just enjoying the experience. Yeah. I don't know, man. Good call. So yeah, he's hiding this from Clements. We know this, obviously. He's he's hiding these vowels or whatever they are. She seems like she's pretty open to like everything. She doesn't seem like she's harboring any resentment or ill will. She just wants to hang. Um, but he, Lucian has bad vibes though. Like he, he's got those, you can tell he's hiding something. So he's shifty, um, doesn't have the same vibe as her. See, I don't, I don't know if I a hundred percent agree with that. I feel like maybe mm -hmm. he's just in a situation he doesn't want to be in because when he's with, uh, Ying Li, you're going to mess me up, Steve. <laughs> um, he talks about how he just wishes that things could have been different. But it just sounds like maybe Clements has more of a status than he did. Right. And he's being brought into something that he doesn't necessarily want. 
that could potentially be moving to America or going to America, whatever it would be that they're doing. The status that she has or mm-hmm. whatever maybe she's involved with that he doesn't want to be involved with. Oh, yeah. Maybe she's got some dark secrets. <laughs> yep. She's got this. And he's just... He's just like, I just showed up, man. Like, what's up? <laughs> she's got those triangle earrings, too. So I don't exactly. know if she's in on it or not. He's in on it because he's got a letter. I don't know if she has a letter or not. But we know now that Virginia has a letter because we see her. Like, that's the very next scene we're getting ready to see. She's got her hair down, and she's got the money, and she has her own letter, too, from who the company, I suppose, is sending this letter out. Um, Ling Yi does her performance here. Pretty badass performance, actually. She's into it, too. She knows what she's doing, and she's like, she doesn't seem like she's a geisha pretending to be a geisha. It seems like those moves come natural to her. And Lucian's like in seventh heaven, man. He loves this. He's all into it. Um, while this is going on, we see that Clements, you know, finds the vial under the dresser that he dropped it. And Lucian doesn't want sex. He just seems like he wants the presence of Japanese culture. Like, it seems like he likes Japanese stuff. When he was talking about the flowers and the trees in Japan, like he was just a, just a Japanese romantic dude. Unfortunately, though, he kicks on a seizure. And at first I was like, Ling Yi for having like a first customer, you know, for being like a paying prostitute. She got off pretty easy. She just had a dance. And then the guy doesn't want to have sex. He just wants to like absorb. But then he has a seizure. That's traumatic as shit to like view Uh, that. Apparently not. I mean, do you see the way that she just kind of knelt down by him and and stared at him like – I don't think she was traumatized. She was just like, well, it's just another nine to five day. Like, <laughs> No, you're right. You're right. I was just thinking that's just a, that's a lot to take in for your first day of work. It's, it's a lot going on. I guess so. Um, yeah, I guess if we should take a, take another break here at a 30 minute mark, but the very next note I have is the tense tense ride back between Eric and Mora where they're not talking and he's got the jacket he doesn't need to talk he's got the jacket it says everything he's got to say <laughs> we'll be right back to some THC a snake go your salesman since my seat spray ceased all the vendor contender living lavish tasting tartar now I'm just a vendor grifting messes at the farm on my pace gets no praises cause my fault in fate stop disgraced at these races in these Baltic states yeah Back again with Sweet Child of Time, 1899. We're doing the fog. And Sauce Boss or somebody found three more dead crew members. So that leads to seven dead bodies. We got Ada. We got three that the Sauce Boss found and they rang the bell. And then just through casual conversation, we learned that three crew members dropped dead the exact same way. No scars, no nothing. Just dropped dead of quote-unquote natural causes. <laughs> so they're freaking out about this, obviously. Um, we got some super mutiny vibes now. Um, I thought it was mutiny vibes before, but like it's, it's kicking into high gear now. They're passing out guns. Sebastian wants to stand by the captain. He's a company man, right? He doesn't want mutiny. 
probably just for, you know, company aesthetic reasons or it's not that he agrees with every decision the captain's making, but he overall is concerned for the ship and the company in general. Whereas Franz is just like, fuck this. (laughs) Yeah. Looks bad on the, on the company's name. Yeah. When you have mutiny happening with guns, but it happens. Um, yeah, he goes below. You're talking about how like that group below had the hive mind. Hey, mm-hmm. hey, I know a song by a guy named Void Master called Hive Mind Hypnosis. It's a fucking kick-ass yes. song. Let me bleep that F word there. But yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> These guys got to have my guys and gals all got to have mine down there. They're all thinking the same thing. Um, they're just immediately on board. Give us some guns. They just indiscriminately hand out guns to everybody. It's like they all came from down south. <laughs> Not your down south, Steve. <laughs> a little bit further south. Yeah, Virginia prides itself. Or Richmond prides itself on being the northernmost southern city. <laughs> what a crock. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about Oleg, how cool Oleg is. I don't know why Oleg's down there hanging out with everybody, but... After he and, he and Ling Yi split up, he came down and hung out with these crew. I wonder if he just has to live in the third class area, but maybe he sleeps in like a like a workers' quarters or something. But that's just where he has to go to eat, because I think that's what he was doing. He was just eating. But I do really like when they address him, and he looks more inconvenienced than anything. <laughs> like right. like he's just trying to sit there and eat his oatmeal or whatever, and everyone's running around with guns and stuff like that. (laughs) He pulled a Steve Barnes, just like, I'll just keep eating and just pretend like everything's chill. (laughs) 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 But they see him though. Like sauce boss sees Oleg and is like, you're not supposed to be down here. So that's why I was wondering why Oleg, well, I mean, I know Oleg hangs out in weird spots. He has that little spot by the rescue boat. He hangs out at. Um, and he's not supposed to be there. And then yeah, I guess, he, yeah, like you said, he, I guess these people are just more chill to hang out with and he blends in with them because they kind of look alike, I guess. Yeah, he's dirty. They look dirty. Yeah. Language barrier, I'm not sure. I don't think they speak the same language. Because mm, he's Polish, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Because, yes. And if they're all Dutch slash German... Yeah. At least those seem to be the two languages that you hear down there. Yes. I don't know. We're all having a hard time understanding each other today. <laughs> yeah, no joke. <laughs> well, Olet gets thrown in the brig because he's not on board with mutiny. And he reunited with Jerome. Olet and Jerome back together again. My two boys. Um, I don't know why. Like, I just think that the two of them are going to be like the heroes of the whole thing. Because like you said, Olet, it just seems... Like he's just there inadvertently. And I know that Jerome is playing a part because he had that letter. He was led to Lucian's room. He went there for some sort of weird reason. But I don't know. I I don't know. I just get the vibe. All look like some, so I like him. That's how it goes. (laughs) Friend of my friend. All All right. We're talking with Angel and Ramiro. And here they we find out everything we need to know about Angel and Ramiro. No more guessing. It's all laid out right here. Ramiro killed a man. Uh, Angel was involved somehow. Ramiro is wearing 
the dead man's clothes that he killed, pretending to be him now. So he and Ling Yi have something in common, that they both killed someone to be there, pretended to be somebody else, and they're wearing that dead person's clothes. Yuck. <laughs> um, oh, and this all happened because Angel couldn't control himself. So what I was telling to Heather when I was watching this with her was I was suppositing that um, Angel overstepping his boundaries, um, having an affair with a Portuguese servant named Ramiro, they got busted Somebody beat the crap out of Angel, whipped his back all up. And then Ramiro, in, in an act of self-defense, killed that person. I guess it was a priest. Um, I'm just trying to trying to logically put things together here. But I've definitely changed my mind about them. I used to think that Angel was like the one that leaned good and Ramiro leaned bad. And now I'm thinking the exact opposite. Um, it's pretty clear that Angel... Um, has got big issues, can't control himself. Mother has warned us about Angel. <laughs> That's what Ramiro says. What if it was like conversion therapy? That's oh. why he has all this. That's why he has all the scars on his back. Right. Ramiro might have been in the same group or something like that, oh. and felt so strongly about Angel that maybe he killed the priest administering the punishment. That makes a ton of and sense. And now they ran off together. Heck yes. I love that theory. Yep. I'm with you. Two man theory right there. Um, this is one of the reasons that I think that I kind of switched my mind about Ramiro too, is because Ramiro wanted to run off and warn the captain about mutiny. So that's, you know, that leans a little more on the good side than the bad side. Um, so yeah, I've kind of flip-flopped on those fellas now at this point. Maybe Angel's not my, my angel in disguise like I thought he was. He's a devil in yeah. disguise. Ooh. <laughs> Maybe. All right. Ike's list that he found. We saw Mara Franklin's name on that list as a passenger. And she was listed as Miss Mara Franklin, singular. And that same list, I don't know who these people are, but... I saw the names, Dr. and Mrs. Morris French, Mrs. J.L. DeForay, and I'm sorry, Miss, distinctively Miss J.L. DeForay and Miss A.S. DeForay. These names might come up later, but they were on the list with Mara. That's the reason I bring it up. And that was in the F's because, you know, all these last names start with F, so... That was just one page out of the book. So at this point, we're back with Daniel. Daniel approaches Mara, says maybe this fog was sent for a reason. Hmm. Maybe Daniel has control of stuff like that. I don't know. It's possible. <laughs> uh, Mara deeply expresses to him, you know, it, it doesn't sound like she's in love with Ike, but the way she's describing Ike to Daniel here. Uh, I don't know. She's just really um, just sympathetic with him. And she doesn't just say stuff like, I trust the captain or whatever. She's like, she digs deep and is like, I, tr I trust his soul. He's a deeply scarred man who, you know, she's, I don't know. She's really feeling a lot for Ike here. 
uh, Daniel smartly suggests that Mara lock herself in her cabin. That's the best thing to do if your ship is <laughs> being mutinous and you're not on either side. Get in your cabin, get the hell out of the way. Uh, Ramiro tries to warn the captain, but the captain does not understand what Ramiro's saying. Um, the third time we see that, and maybe the fourth time we see that, they just don't understand each other. And right at that moment, mutiny begins. And looks like Tove's in charge. I don't know how they let a, a, a pregnant woman be the leader of this mutiny group, but that's maybe that's by design from Sauce Boss. Because if it was him leading the mutiny, it'd be his ass. So he went down below to get those, you know, lower deck people. And I don't know, Tove just ran with it. Yeah. Like, she's the one who gives the order. And here, also, we see Daniel has that really cool, like, slide puzzle game where you, you you're familiar with that game he's playing, not with the triangles, but um, there's a little square thing, and it has 16 numbers, and you have to put them in order by sliding them around the way Daniel's doing. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's almost like a form of tactile, like, Sudoku. Yeah. That's right. You have to put it in a specific order. Yeah. This one's this one's connected to the ship's machinery, obviously, because when he puts that that middle digit down, that thing fires up, and the ship either disappears or it becomes invisible. Uh, what do you think? Do you lean it one way or the other? Well, I don't remember seeing any ropes or any ties after the boat disappears. So I kind of think that it just poofed. It's just gone. Like out of existence. Yeah. Like just erased from being, you know, that was the ship that everybody was in, right? Did you notice that that the ship that disappeared was the one with all the lights on and all the smoke coming out of it. And the other ship did not disappear. Oh, now I guess I have to rethink everything. (laughs) Yeah. That's happened. So they didn't really let you focus on it for too long. It happened and then they just moved on. Yeah. Um, Oh man. I mean, I think, I think it, it, it got zapped out of the existence of 1899 and perhaps it's being zapped into the existence of somewhere else. Or maybe it's like a matrix situation where like when you're not in the matrix, it doesn't, exist for you so it's kind of gone and you're back in your reality so I don't know if maybe like this whole thing is like a a dream psychosis and Daniel like snapped everybody out of it I don't even know I don't even know at all (laughs) what if what if it's just like a restart button that'd be nice I mean that would be a pretty big thing because I feel I mean you would have so much to restart in yeah. a sense, but. And 1600 people too. That's like 1600 threads to other people that exist other places too. So, you know, everybody's connected in some way or another to this. I don't know. It's wild. They, <laughs> I, I, I'm looking at it as a, um, a psychological thing that this is happening within someone's mind. Um, but I do know that I guess Daniel and Sebastian both work for the company because they're 
messing around with these triangles a lot more than anybody else is. So uh, that leads me to believe that Sebastian and Daniel are kind of ultra important. Because uh, nobody else knows about those buttons or those triangles. Just the two of them so far. And the boy. I guess the boy too. Zombie boy. So I kind of think that the whole thing can be most equated to the matrix. I think I'm nodding. That that noise is me nodding. <laughs> how similar it is to the matrix. I don't know. I think that there is a psychological component, but with all the technology that, that seems like they're making more and more apparent, it makes it feel like there's that matrix vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe not with like the whole aliens and stuff like that, but then you know, who knows? Well, this, this episode also did not disappoint. Uh, we got a little bit of Echo and Bunny Men leading us out here. Another anachronistic thing. First episode, Jefferson Airplane, 60s. Next episode, Deep Purple, 70s. Here we got Echo and the Bunny Men. They're in the 80s. Uh, this song is called The Killing Moon, uh, written by Ian McCullough. Credited to God, he um, had a dream and these lyrics came to him in a dream that I'm getting ready to say. And when he woke up, he wrote them down and, you know, incorporated them into a song. But he says that he didn't write the lyrics, that God wrote the lyrics. And he said, there's no interpretation to these songs, to this song, The Killing Moon. It doesn't mean anything. He says that you can interpret the lyrics as you will, but I'm going to interpret them. (laughs) So the lyric that came from God is fate up against your will. So first off, you know, you got what your fate is and then what you want. So there's that. Then it says through the thick and thin, he will wait until you give yourself to him. So obviously in our case, I would say obviously that the him is Daniel because they're showing us this overcutting with scenes of Daniel. I guess he's the him here that we needed, that people need to give themselves to maybe in a psychiatric way. Maybe he's a psychologist or something that people have to, (laughs) I'm rambling now because I don't know. It's an odd choice. I don't know. They really left a lot of open ends here. So, but side note, I wish God would write the lyrics for my next album. (laughs) Well, just keep a pencil and paper handy at your bedside. And next time you have some cool lyric dreams, write them down, but make sure to credit God though. In the, in the liner notes. Yeah. He'll be pissed if I don't. (laughs) He'll sue you. All right. (laughs) All right, I'm going to my notes here. We're rounding it out here, Nate. Um, I wanted to go to a couple of letters, if that's okay. Or did you sure. have any thoughts, though, before we do that? Because we came to the end of the episode. We're both perplexed. <laughs> Is there I anything think that, that we missed? Let's make ourselves feel better with some letters. All right, good deal. Um, we didn't get a lot of letters. Um, we got another letter from our friend Lindsay Dunn. She's now our official frenemy. I was thinking like along the lines of like, um, uh, what's that guy's name? Perry, the platypus and Dr. Doofenshmirtz 
from. <laughs> I guess you're not familiar with Perry the Platypus and Dr. Doofenshmirtz, but there, um, a nem- there are two nemeses that inadvertently help each other out a lot. Um, they're, they occupy a lot of the same space. They inadvertently help each other, but they're supposed to be enemies. And I can't even remember the name the show is, but at any rate, that's who Lindsay Dunn is to us. She is our Dr. Doofenshmirtz. She wrote that if you wanted to sink a ship, it's called scuttling. And that's why I posted that thing about scuttle court earlier on my Instagram. She says that scuttling is when you put holes in the bottom of a ship and it's that easy. (laughs) Just kidding. That's how you sink a ship. She says back in the 1890s, there was probably, you know, not too much of an environmental hazard back then, but now... It's illegal to do such. You you can't scuttle a ship these days and just let it sink. That's that's an illegal thing. Um, but yeah, and she's the one who clued me into the fact that Gilligan's name is Sebastian. So thanks again, Lindsay. She's doing thanks. recaps also on YouTube, and she is currently on episode one right now. But she's been listening to our podcast. I haven't had a chance to check her stuff out yet because of my vow of, of obedience to 1899. I did read her recap of episode one, but I haven't watched the YouTubes yet, but she's on there. Um, what is it called? One of my stories, number one. And then you're going to like this, Nate. I know you will on Spotify. There is a feature where if somebody listens to the episode, there's a question that says, you know, what did you think of this episode? And then if somebody chooses to do so, they can say something. One person said something like, you know, cool. I liked it. I appreciate that. Thank you for saying so. But this person named Woofy, that's what their name is on Spotify. Anyway, I like this. They wrote, I love that Nate from void master is your co-host. What are his favorite shows current and all time? Oh man. So currently I'm rewatching Hannibal. Uh, I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, Dexter is one of my favorites. Uh, oh man. I, like, uh, like I discussed in sweet child of time, uh, I'm a huge cartoon guy. Mm-hmm. So South park King of the Hill, which if you guys didn't know, super excited about that reboot. Um, don't necessarily do Family Guy so much, but a lot of cart- old cartoons too. At least old for for me, like Cat Dog and Angry Beaver and stuff like that. Right so, on, good deal. Thanks for asking, Wolfie. Right on, Wolfie. All right. Um, I wanted to let you know too. I saw you posted on Instagram earlier. I, I hope you don't mind me narking you out, but you posted some Bloodhound Gang stuff like three different songs from those guys. And that was a big mainstay back in Applebee's way back in the late nineties. Me and Heather grew up on some bloodhound gang and you need to check out one fierce beer coaster. If you have not already, that's That's their first or second album. It's their sophomore album and their best by far album, in my opinion. All right. So do you want some, some extra cool bloodhound gang info? Yeah, absolutely. So where I live, uh, they're from Collegeville, Collegeville, Pennsylvania, okay. which is about 20 minutes down the road from <laughs> me. Okay. The next coolest thing, Daddy Longlegs, their original bassist. Yeah. 
lives, I'm going to say, 10 houses over. <laughs> and I, one of my old neighbors from where I used to live moved into the house next to him. And I had no idea. And I went over to just go hang out with him. And this dude comes in and I was like, who, who the hell, who are you? And he, he we were talking because we were talking about music and things like that. And he goes, yeah, I'm daddy long legs. And I was like, who's that? Cause I didn't listen to the bloodhound gang yet. And he was like a bloodhound gang. And I was like, Oh, you guys have that one song, bad touch. And he was like, we have a lot of songs. <laughs> and that's like not even nowhere near their best song either. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And we talked for like a long time and it was awesome. It was, it was super cool to meet him. But yeah, recently for some reason I started listening to them and I was like, this is good stuff. It's some goofy fun. It's, one fierce beer coaster too. Just look at the song titles. I mean, not PC by any means at all. And it doesn't really stand the test of time when it comes to like homophobia and sexism. Um, it's, uh, even, <laughs> but it's, it's even their album from 2015 or 2016, like some of the stuff that's on there. I'm like, how'd you guys get away with this? I know PC culture wasn't that big, like seven years ago or six, seven years ago, whatever it was, but. Ooh, some of that stuff's a little questionable. <laughs> it is, but um, I mean, I think you can tell, like, I mean, with a lot of things, it's like intent and, I guess, perspective. And they, they don't, they're not by any means, like, offensive people at all. No. No. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm not... It, it is what it is. They're, they're just a bunch of goofballs. They, their stuff sounds questionable, but it's not not hateful. There's no hate whatsoever. Like even their earlier stuff that is questionably like homophobic at the same time, it's like they were like kind of like in awe of how cool like gay people were. So that's the way that they pigeonholed gay people. Like all oh, those dudes are so cool. Cause chicks hang out with them. Kind of, like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's just good fun. It's very good fun. If, if you can laugh about it, it's just good fun. Uh, yeah, in the same same vein, uh, all this episode, you've been hearing Marshland Monster and Dragon Boy Suede, a.k.a. Howard Kramer. Uh, they're friends of ours, too, and they just put out a new song, Baltic States. You heard it there. And, yeah, plug corner now. I'll plug me some Intravoid like usual. Rebecca Crow is working on some stuff. Um, how about Nate? Anything new in the hopper, Nate? Uh. No, just waiting for Dom, Dom, our bassist, to get back from, from England so we can get back to, to jamming and just getting ready for hopefully a big 2023. Is he taking, like, bass lessons from Steve Harris while he's there? No, that would be sick. <laughs> he went over there to see The Cure. I don't know what that's about, but whatever. Oh, oh yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah, Echo and the Bunnymen this episode. I'm a huge Cure fan. I grew up on that sad boy emo stuff back in the 80s I, I had my foot in a lot of different pockets and that was a pocket i definitely filled the cure and yeah that that type echo and the bunny men jesus and mary chain that's some real good stuff anyway that's all i got for this episode though nate i can't wait to watch episode four i don't know what's going to happen something weird probably i i hope it's something weird <laughs> All right. Did you have any uh, closing thoughts or anything else before we go? 
Nope. Just happy to be back. I'm glad to have you. We got like five or six more of these to do. So keep hanging in there. Sounds good. Until next week. I hope everybody out there finds water and shade and Nate, you find yourself some water and shade up there too. I hope you find water and shade too, Steve. Plenty of it. Bye-bye. See ya. How did you all avoid detection? A lot of different ways. One way was, you know, the, the team doctors would tell you, you know, what and how much of a certain product you could take and, and how many days the testers could still detect it for. Baltic states, Baltic states, my ball through ships out in crates. Checks injected in their horses before they race in them Baltic states, yeah. My juice don't show up in tests. My juice make horsey run fast. My juice make that pony twerk. Popping that ass in the winter, sir. My juice give horse extra burst. Make that long shot come in first. So I rub it out and I'm raising, raising. I'm shipping crazy in these Baltic states, yeah. Baltic states, Baltic states. My ball juice ships out in crates. Checks injected in their horses before they Tell the cram of the stealing spikes, stealing gems, selling flam from my failing like instrument defending, filling trends, kept medallions on the list of wins. My plans in its hands, my battalion's gone impotent. My food, food subdued, do reduce to a spruce, goose the blue, choose been chewed with no boost to my crew, choose my glue, goo was mad, dancing vast in the past tense, bruised, doomed sad since I slashed through my past tense. People say won't cut it, Jackie, stop the compensation, bed and shapeless on the budget since I got the operation of the CBD. THC, a snake, oil salesman since my seat spray ceased. Fall with a vendor contender, living lavish, tasting tartar. Now I'm just a vendor, grifting messes at the farm. All my pace gets no praises, cause my fault in fate. Stop disgraced at these races in these Baltic states, yeah. Baltic states, Baltic states. Pop all two ships out in crates. Jets injected in their horses before they race in them Baltic states, yeah. Baltic states, Baltic states. Ships out in crates, checks injected in their horses before they race in them Baltic states, yeah. So with each product, you had a different glow time, and depending on how much you took. You had very sophisticated teams with sophisticated doctors, and, you know, if you followed their rules, you would, uh, you would pass the controls.